Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's into the AFL season and so much to chat about. The Carlton Football Club remains undefeated through three rounds. Who saw that coming? A win for the Western Bulldogs. Melbourne, the premiers of last year, still going so well. And what about Geelong? That come from behind victory over Collingwood in Joel Selwood's record break record-breaking game. Hello and welcome to the Al and Lingy show. Lingy, welcome to you. Good to see you, mate. Oh, great to be here, Al. Um, I'm excited to talk footy because we were going to have a, another guest on with us um, from the Melbourne Football Club and talk about their 3-0 start. But after the comeback of the Cats and the last quarter they produced, we've decided to get rid of him and spend the entire 50 minutes just talking about Geelong. That's the run absolutely- that I wasn't it, Al? Absolutely is not happening, Lingy. Um, last week, Adam Tomlinson, we welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for joining us, mate. Last week, Cameron Ling did not want to talk about Geelong whatsoever. The week before, he tried to dictate the entire program, and he's doing it again today. So just feel free to knock him around the chops a few times if you need to on the way through. Welcome, mate. No, firstly, thank you very much for having me. And I'm glad I can jump on board and, uh, and stop Lingy just talking about the cats. I'm sure he's going to pipe up a fair bit and, uh, and have his few words. But no, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Saints today, you did that game, Lingy. So we'll chat about their amazing <laughs> finish and, and a great victory over Richmond. So they've now won a couple in a row. And Max King's been a key part of it in the second half, really helping them get some momentum in the game. But Adam, let's start with you because you're back playing footy again, which I think everyone is so happy to see. How have you found it? How have you felt? What's it like being back in a Melbourne jumper? Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. And it, it's it's funny because you do all this training and you play all these preseason games and nothing compares to, A, playing round one and then playing round two um, and then just getting used to backing up week after week. And you, you, you train for so long and you've got so many reminders and, and little things you, you do during a game and really well one week and then you might be doing something really well the next week and sort of have forgotten what you're doing well. And it's just been um, uh, an interesting process to try and get back to where I was sort of 12 months ago, but I'm absolutely loving it. It's great to be out there. Manee's great. I don't even think about Manee. It's sort of just getting into the back of the groove of playing over. Tom, I, I wonder how you, so you- you are so hungry because you're just wrapped to be back playing footy. You want a premiership, absolutely. And after being uh, still an important part of uh, the off-field of last year but not being on-field, how do you balance that with the other guys who now, perhaps just early on in the season, it's, it's uh, I hesitate to use the word going through the motions because they're playing better than that, but that motivation might not be quite at the peak that yours is at. Balancing, letting them have their space and time to to grow into the season versus, come on, boys, bring it on. I want, I want a flag. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that, Lingy, because we actually speak about it a lot at the footy club and and we, we speak about last year where we started to where we are right now and um, we've got such high expectations for ourselves individually and as a team if we're not quite getting there at times. And if you look at the team, there's a few different people, especially in the back line, and... Um, I'm so hungry to 
to play in a, a winning team. I'm also so hungry to prove to myself to play my best football, and I feel like I've never shown my best football in my career. Um, and I'm also trying to prove to everyone that I can still play. And then, as you say, try and get all my teammates to I don't know, relish the moment and try and go back to back because, uh, you know, I mean, every player wants to and I'm playing in the team that's, I don't know, probably the best chance to do it again because they're such a great young group of people. It's um, it's tricky, but um, you know what a funny season is like. It's a long year. Um, and if you think back to how we were playing last year, we weren't dominating teams. Um, and we just sort of keep working on week in, week out because it is a long season. You, Tomo, have obviously done so much work. You've, you've been overseas, correct me if I'm wrong, to, to get your knee right. You've seen the best specialist you can. You've done all the rehab. And were there any nerves when you came back to playing, though? And, and the bizarre circumstances, I suppose, for you, where you, you weren't actually initially playing against the Western Bulldogs. You were the late inclusion. So talk us through what was happening in your mind around that period as you, you made your return to footy, I guess, unexpectedly in the end. You rub salt in the world. The one year I couldn't go overseas when everyone else does go overseas when they do their knee, and I couldn't. Um, so I just got a day trip to Sydney. Um, but no, you're, you're exactly right. So the whole rehab program was done so well, um, and the club was amazing. Uh, and really lucky for me, uh, obviously I wasn't playing, but I got an extra six weeks with the physios to have a real purposeful training program. Um, so I started pre-season back in August. Um and just I flogged myself while I was in Perth and then had a few weeks off when the boys actually started their off-season. So we all had three weeks off together. And then I back into it because otherwise, if I was training the whole whole time, it would have been. Um, and then getting into games, Gooley, Chappie and I, Troy Chaplin's the, the backline coach, and um, we had a really good conversation the whole summer. Um, and he knows when I get anxious and I'm pretty open to telling him how I'm feeling because I want to play. Everyone wants to play. Um, but for me to get back into the best ever defense that's ever been recorded through champion data, I was going to have to do a pretty good job. And so I wanted to play, but I, I understood the level I had to get to or what I was trying. To and I was devastated when I wasn't picked, but I also, I knew that it was going to take time for me to really get to a point where I was going to be comfortable, um, and able to play again. And, and I'm still getting to that point, um, and um, I still think, geez, I did this well, I didn't do that well. And it, it changes from week in, week out. And I'm just trying to get to a level where I know as soon as I walk onto the field, X, Y, Z, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Um, but, yeah, it, it has been an up and down month. But at the same time, I've loved every bit of it. How did you deal with the team winning the premiership? Obviously, you talk about how badly you want to be out there playing. Was there, there's obviously the euphoria and you were brilliant the way you got around the team and you were so actively involved doing whatever you could. You're in the coach's box. You were helping out in, in whatever way you could to assist the group last year. But when you reflected afterwards, even in the, the weeks or months after that premiership, how, what, what sort of was your, your overriding emotion? Um, I think everyone saw on, on TV, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I couldn't fight back the tears, but I was so happy for all my teammates. And um, it was... It was an amazing time for the club, but there was a part of really sad to be not fully. Um, and you're right, I sat in the coach's box and uh, I tried to be a part of it as much as I could and help out where I, where I can. But at the same time, um, of the 23 people playing, there's only so much you can do. But 
trust me, Al, I, I celebrated like I did win and tried <laughs> to enjoy it as, and did enjoy it as, as much as I could have. Um, but at the same time, when, when I came back to Melbourne and, and saw my fiancé and, and family, it was great to be home and um, to have some time away to sort of reset and then get going again. Al, but, it's a really important time where the players notice you know, when you can achieve the ultimate success, you notice the players who have missed out through a hard luck story and you notice the way they behave and not just for the cameras, but behind closed doors or in the celebrations. We had one, I reckon, through my time who didn't handle it well and didn't do it well, lost a lot of respect. Then you had Matty Stokes who did it exceptionally well, embraced everything, missed 09, dressed up as half cat in the, um, in the function afterwards, had a ball with it all. Jit won him a lot of respect. We really appreciated how. And, and you Lee, you're spot on. And I had one of your mates, Shannon Burns, who is our welfare, who at the last year was our welfare. He was the runner. Um, and he did every bit of running around the oval um, week in, week out. And I love him. He's one of the best people. And it was great to have someone who played in grand finals but also stood there on the boundary line waiting to see if Steve Johnson was going to get up for the game or not. Um, to just have someone like that who knew what I was going through, um, it, it's, I mean, you don't think about it at the time, but looking back on it, it was just great to have someone who knew how. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there was a few of us. Jaden Hunt was in the same boat. Um, Chunk went home for his twins to be born, but he, he was in a similar position. So I wasn't by myself. Um, and at the same time, we all, we all enjoyed it. Uh, as we wanted to be out there, we, we did. Yeah, and the beauty is you've, you've got another opportunity again this year. In fact, it's it's extraordinary to see how well Melbourne is already playing this season when you consider the delayed start that, you know, teams can, when they've won the premiership, just take a little while to get going. But your side's looking really good at the moment and, and it's fantastic to see you playing again. Lingy, what caught your eye? What did you love across the weekend of football in round three? Well, please forgive me this moment, Al and Tomo. I know and where this is headed. But it's got to be the last quarter from the Cats. It did catch my eye, whether I'm a Cats supporter or not, and I certainly am, to see that the way Geelong reversed the momentum of that game and to see the sheer willpower of the skipper. It was his moment. I thought he was superb in that last quarter. Yes, Jeremy Cameron kicks the six and Tommy Hawkins gets a nice one to finish and all that. There were so many great moments. But Joel Selwood's efforts, there was one where I reckon three efforts in a row and they were just tap-ons or they were just getting a hand in there or, or whatever it might have been to will the ball forward. Then again involved in, I think, two handballs that with Dalhouse's kick to Jeremy Cameron. There's a reason why he just broke the record as 227 games as captain of a football club. He's a remarkable person. His willpower shone through in that last quarter. So forgive me for my bias, this one. It was the cats that caught my eye in that last quarter and the skipper in particular. And amazing to think that he will still only go down as the second greatest captain in the history of the Geelong Football Club, <laughs> Lingy, as well, hey? Um, just on Cameron, so he kicked six. He's had a lot more training behind him leading into this season and you, you wonder what he might be able to do in that forward line in, in concert with Tom Hawkins. Tom, uh, you know him pretty well. What would be your method? How do you try and blunt someone like Jeremy Cameron, particularly when you've also got a Hawkins to keep your eye on as well. Yes, uh, so Phil and I used to chat about this a lot, Phil Davis, because um, we always likened him to the way you defend Buddy was similar to the way you defend Jez. Jez is so quick, and if he gets in behind you towards goal, you cook. So you've got to keep him in front of you 
and get him outside the 50. Get him If he gets a mark past the logo, it's not the end of the world. Um, it's when he gets in behind you and he can turn so sharply and turn so quick. Um, farm strong. He's got long, wiry arms, but he can. <laughs> he's strong. He can move quickly and he's so... And so I always just thought I'd... I'd try and push him up the ground um, at training and just not let him get in behind you because that's when it was too hard. Speaking to the, the skipper, Joel Selwood, speaking of him, um, in the first preseason, which Jeremy, so that was last year, Jeremy Cameron didn't do a lot of it. Now, Joel Selwood's played with incredible footballers through his whole career and some remarkable athletes during that time. He remarked to me that Jeremy Cameron is the best athlete he has ever seen up mm. close. Is that fair, Tomo? Just endurance, speed, that strength you talk about, the size, everything. Obviously, Joel Selwood hasn't played with Buddy Franklin, who's another one who is like that. But is, is he just a freak athlete? Yeah. And um, his ability to run out games early wasn't there. And over time, he got fitter and fitter and fitter. And at the same time, somehow got stronger and stronger and didn't get heavier and slower. So um, he, he walks a lot of weight. He goes out onto the field, can throw a vortex 100 metres across the field and just do freakish things that you just don't even think. He'll, he'll play golf left-handed and then grab my right-handed club and, and hit just as well. And it's just, he's one of those people that have, he's got the knack to just do anything. And um, you're spot on. He's a, he's a, a super athlete. Um, yeah, he's phenomenal. Topic of Geelong then. That felt really important result for them. They were 37 points down. Closing in on three quarter time to be what one and two if they drop that game to Collingwood it, it sits them a fair way back so that was the response of a team um, that suggests it's still got plenty of very solid things to do this season again should be contending for the top four if they can produce that level of footy. It was a huge performance, you're right, Al. and they've got the Brisbane Lions this Friday night now, albeit at home at GMHBA Stadium, but the Lions are an outstanding team as well. So you go down one and two and you're coming up against the Lions all of a sudden just starts creeping away from you and all of that outside noise of, are they too old? Is, has this list finished? Is the cliff approaching all that? Starts becoming louder and louder and maybe impactful. But while the wins start happening and, and keep happening, then internally you just you feel not necessarily bulletproof, but just a little bit stronger and united as a group. Like, no, nah, all that outside noise is a whole lot of rubbish. We've still got great footy to play. So as much as you tell it yourselves and each other, ignore the noise, ignore the noise, if the losses are mounting, the noise can start breaking through that barrier. Whereas if you win and, and then a win like last night, they feel great about themselves now. Any talk of too old, too slow, there's a clip, all that, what do you, what do you want about? So it was huge. And if they do happen to knock off Brisbane at home on Friday night, they're feeling pretty great about themselves. Yeah, just news through from the MRO today as well. Uh, Oscar McInerney has been given a week for a strike on Tristan Cherry in that match against North Melbourne. So that would mean Darcy Fort, the former cat, if they accept that ban, would have to shoulder the ruck load on his own in that contest. We'll get to Jordan to go in a moment, but a comment on Collingwood because as much as they lost where that team is and under a new coach in Craig McRae, to be in that position... I'm sure they would feel like it was a missed opportunity in the end, but they're showing plenty of signs, Collingwood, that they're on the right path. Well, I mean, I'd love your input on this because the way that you play at Melbourne, the ball movement is ballistic, and it, but it's 
it doesn't necessarily rely on super lightning fast leg speed and carry, but the way you keep your angles that you change and the ball moves around really quickly just makes it so hard to defend. I wonder, have you seen enough of Collingwood that that's the way they're playing? It's not reliant on super quick players, but the ball movement has certainly sped up to a point where I think teams are on the back foot a little bit against them because of that movement. Well, I remember played St Kilda and they were just going helter-skelter and it wasn't kick mark, it was just play on at all costs. Um, and now you and I were there at the game and, and we took note of it because it was so fast, it was cooking them on the on the flip side. If there was a turnover, they're all out, out of position. And I think that they're moving the ball quick by foot, but because they're not running and overlapping, they're actually in a position to help themselves if they do turn it over, which is crucial in today's game especially. So I think you're spot on, but at the same time, Three games of football, one's round one, which is a bit like finals footy. Anything can happen um, and, and things can change a lot between rounds three and eight. I think you, you, you get a fair idea in the next couple of weeks of how they're going to move the ball especially. But, yeah, if they do speed it up but still have stability behind the ball, they'll, they'll be in a good shape. Collingwood's got West Coast um, and that's at Marvel Stadium this weekend. That's a Saturday twilight game. Jordan Ngoi's been offered a one-match ban for that slinging tackle at the start of the last quarter on Patrick Dangerfield. I think given where we're going with this, it's no real surprise. Dangerfield's head probably did make contact with the ground. Lingy, do you see any chance of that one being challenged by Collingwood? Well, I, my natural reaction is to say, oh, hang on, you know, to take down somebody like Paddy Dangerfield, you've got to... Got to get him to ground. You've got to get him to ground because he's so big and strong that he, he can release the ball and, and away they go. But at the same breath, I've been crying for years about punish the action, not the outcome. And I think maybe in years gone by, Dangerfield gets up and keeps playing. Therefore, that one would have been, okay, move on, um, nothing to see here. Whereas the action was dangerous and it was had the potential to knock the player out. Now, if that wasn't Paddy Dangerfield and maybe it was a slightly lighter player, then that action, head hitting the ground and that sort of sling, could have done really significant damage. So while I've been, I have been crying for punish the action, um, I've got to support it now and say, yep, that's the right call. Regardless of Dangerfield being hurt or not hurt, the action was dangerous. Therefore, that's going to be the penalty going forward. And you players, Tomo, have been shown plenty of footage. Um, umpires come out to training, don't they? You get, get to look at rule interpretations around holding the ball, tackles that are, are deemed to be dangerous, that type of thing. So how good is your understanding now of what's permissible and, and what isn't? And, uh, you know, that action by Dugowie, when when the player's head hits the ground, do you just concede now that you're going to get suspended for it? Yeah, so the umpires do come out and they give us the interpretation of the rules and we all sit there confused. <laughs> it's not, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, um, we, we do have a very um, strong guideline of how we should... Mark Williams, who's our development coach, is, is awesome at this and he actually makes us go into the, the craft room and he gets all the, the high jump mats out and makes us tackle the right way. Um, if Mark sees us give a free kick away for doing back line, it's a goal against. And so he's really um, rigid on the way we tackle the technique and what we do. And we all know that as soon as you're going to be in a bit of strife. So, um, and 
better outcome of us players and for the future of the game. So um, we don't want to see that at low-level football, and, and it's it's one thing that we as players know what to do now. And, and yeah, so um, we're, we're instructed or and taught to tackle um, in a way that we can uh, um, keep the ball in to the player, but at the same time not not harm them. Yeah, you, as the tackler, you have that responsibility yeah. to get the player safely down to the ground. And, and, and it, it's, it's hard because strong. you don't. You, you don't tackle to hurt. You tackle with intent, intensity, um, and the other tackle to hurt, but we don't because I, I don't go out there to tackle someone and so they get concussed, but I tackle them so they don't get rid of the ball and, um, and so they know they've been tackled. So it, it's, it's a fine line, but the, the, it's the actual double action of, of the tackle which is the bad part. Yeah, absolutely. What caught your eye across the weekend, Tomo? A fair bit caught your eye on Friday night, I'd imagine, playing well, a match uh, against Essendon. Yeah, I mean... What did you see and like? Um, firstly, it was great to see Tex Wanganang out there. He's uh, got some great blood. Mark Williams was telling us how good he was going to be. But um, I did catch myself watching the Gold Coast Giants game and two things from it, uh, two old teammates. One was Braden Proust to see him back out there and, and in the ruck. And he, he had a funny comment after the game. He said, well, all the all the clubs pay for my surgery, so it's about time that I, <laughs> I gave them something back, which was good of him. But um, to see Stephen Cornelio back up and running and playing some really good footy was great to see. He's a great mate of mine, and um, a lot of stuff was said about him in the media. And he is a, a superhuman, um, is a great leader. It was just heartwarming to see him back yeah, that was going to be my observation from the weekend. Just It's now three weeks on end that Stephen Cornelio has contributed really meaningfully to GWS's performances and in a really big way, in a, in a role that he's not overly familiar with. Yes, he's done it a bit before, but he, he played a lot forward on the weekend as well. He had 21 possessions in the first half, helped set up that victory. Gold Coast got a few cheap goals late. Uh, but he had 31, I think, for the game or 32 for the game, 10 clearances as well. He looks to be running so much more freely now. And when you think what he's been through emotionally and mentally over the last couple of years, he's been injured. He hasn't been able to play to the level that he would have liked. And he's had the, the captaincy as well. And many suggesting that he's not worthy of captaining the club, that he should be replaced being dropped from the team as well in 2020 as a captain, that would have been a really significant and difficult time for him. So to see, I think it's fantastic for football, but given Tomo's gone down that path as well, I might throw Adelaide in there and what they were able to do against Port Adelaide. So for them to win as a developing side under Matthew Nix, looking to take steps this season and to do it in the manner that they did when the game looked over 19 points down, I think it was midway through the last quarter, to have guys step up and produce like they did. I think they were very fortunate that Jordan Dawson took the shot at goal as much as it wasn't his most perfectly executed shot. Beautiful, beautiful kick of the footy. And um, I played a lot of footy against him. Um, Obviously, he was at the Swans for a long time and we played on the wing together and he is a beautiful kick of the footy. Yeah, it was a great finish. Yeah, that's the thing. You thought it was going right through the middle. It was, by his standards, a, a bit of an ordinary kick. But but to, to see the Adelaide fans who've had a couple of difficult years enjoy that victory over Port Adelaide, what do those wins mean when you're developing um, as a young team, looking for every victory you can get, whether it's winning quarters or, or having good performances against strong sides, to get that affirmation and the confidence you can take out of a come-from-behind win like that? What does it mean for their development, do you think? 
Well, I think two things. Uh, it just shows they can take momentum from this game going forward, and it's a really important thing in footy these days. Um, and they can understand when they don't have momentum, when their backs are up against the wall, that they've actually got the ability to stem the floor position uh, and get the arm wrestle back in their favour and actually continue on. I think as a young footy club, when you learn to to change momentum and, and fight back and actually get over the line and, and win, it's a massive thing for the football club. It grows belief. Um, when we started the Giants, it was in our fourth year when we sort of believed that we can change a, a game from being two goals down to being even and then the next year it was being two goals down to two goals in front. And, and when you've got that belief, it, it, it does wonders for the team, especially when you're so young too. And conversely, Lingy, North Melbourne, uh, I would say in a similar-ish stage of their development as a group to Adelaide, yet humiliated, embarrassed in David Noble's own words by the Brisbane Lions to the tune of 108 points. And and he even brought to the table the performance of the, the VFL side as well on the same day. They were hammered and the collective margin was over 200. So... As much as Adelaide takes confidence from a win like that, what does it do to the psyche of a young North Melbourne group to be beaten so heavily? Yeah, it, it, it smashes the confidence, especially early on in the season, Al. And I, only thing I would say is I disagree a little bit with you on that they're at the same stage. I think Adelaide have got more senior players who can guide some of their team more so than North Melbourne, uh, you know, Sloan and Laird and Matty Crouch and these types of players, whether they're playing or not playing, they're, they're, they're around the club and they're quite senior. Um, North Melbourne, I think, they're, I think they're a couple of years behind where the Crows are. So I'm, I'm not surprised by North Melbourne copying and smashing every now and then. Um, they are really building from the absolute ground floor and I think they're doing a good job of it under David Noble. Now, when they're coming off a 100-point victory, you go, that's a ridiculous statement to make. Sure. But you're playing as a team who a lot of tipped to win the premiership this year or certainly finish in the top couple um, along with um, the Melbournes of the world. They got smacked. They'll learn from it. And if they turn it up over the next three or four weeks and get smacked consistently over the next four weeks, then I'll have big concerns about what's being done. But they're going to get, they're going to have two more games in the remainder of the season where they lose by 80 plus points. That's been called a young team who's, hasn't really got that much senior help. Um, they lost Robbie Tarrant in the off-season, you know, a, a terrific key defender. Yeah, they've got Jack Siebel and, yeah, they've got Todd Goff, but they're a long way off their their, their very best form uh, and peak form. So, no, I'm not, not surprised at all and I'm not overly concerned, um, which, as I said, people out there go, that's a stupid thing to say when they've lost by 100 points, but they are just at polar opposites in their development spectrum. Brisbane are peaking and looking for a flag North Melbourne. They're on the ground floor. Yeah, that that's the thing about Brisbane is that they were, and Chris Fagan said it at three-quarter time, it's up to you guys whether you just want to meander to the finish here or you actually really want to complete this performance. And and that's what Brisbane did, and they're obviously a, a high-quality side. It, it was a bit of a difference. Uh, I went along to the MCG today once I got through the traffic. 66,000 people were at the MCG today for a match between Carlton and Hawthorne. That was about, Al? That, seriously, the, the sleeping giant has been well and truly awoken, Lingy and Tomo, because I was going along today thinking, oh, 40,000, 45 would be a reasonable crowd today. 66,000 people at that match, and 
I think the difference with Carlton's development and as much as they're doing really well this season so far and, and the future looks extremely bright for them, you look at what Brisbane did to North Melbourne, Carlton against Hawthorne today, seven goals to one up a quarter time, led by five goals at halftime, were dominating all the key facets of the game but allowed the opposition back in. So Carlton's not yet that team that's going to put you away for four quarters like Melbourne has the capacity to do like Brisbane has done, so that very top rung. So as much as Carlton won the game and Hawthorne lost, I think Carlton's going to have some a few things to look at out of that game that will ultimately benefit them going forward. I think one of the things that Carlton are going to learn, well, I mean, they will, they'll learn from that situation and they'll learn that when a team does get a roll on, as, as we spoke about before, they'll come up with a way on the field that the players can go after two goals, how are we going to stop this? and Or how are we going to put our foot on the throat uh, and, and keep going forward? And they haven't been in a position to learn or how to do this for a, a while. I mean, uh, they had a chance against the Bulldogs to try and do it and, that, and they got over the line. Um, they, they held them off for long enough, but they'll learn going forward throughout the season how to finish teams off because I think they're a great side. They've got a great midfield. They don't rely on Patrick Cripps anymore. Um, they've got some key p- uh, pillars up forward and down back, so they, they've got a really good structure. Now, when you measure up, sorry, Lingy, you go. We're recording this on a Sunday night, Al. Um, now you're going to claim, of course, that just simple scheduling. You're following the scheduling timeline, and the Carlton game was one ten. I can just feel all the St Kilda fans right now saying, "I can't believe you're talking about Carlton <laughs> over what we just witnessed at Marvel Stadium." We get to it all, Lingy. Let's, let's come on, Maxi King. Are we throw him ahead of Harry Mackay and Charlie Curnow, or are you still giving them the nod? At the moment, it's all it's about the natural flow of the conversation, Lingy, and you have this <laughs> uncanny habit of uh, of interfering in the natural flow and trying to steer it certain ways, usually towards the blue and white hoops, and not very much towards the the CFC in the blue and white. But just a quick one on Carlton before we wrap up and go to St Kilda and, and Richmond, because that was a brilliant performance by St Kilda today. So the Blues are three and zip. Here are the stats; they don't necessarily mean too much. Ninety percent of teams. Three and Zip have made the final. 70% have made a preliminary final. 40% have made a grand final. So, And Sam Doherty, I want to mention, 33 disposals today. He had 13 marks. And in the last quarter when the game was on the line, he was superb for the Blues today. Jacob Wiedering took an amazing mark late in the game at centre-half, back back with the flight that was telling as well. Are Carlton in the frame? Is the is it too early for Carlton fans to be thinking, gee, was maybe we're capable? of going all the way, being that jumper out of the pack, or is that premature? Would you like to handle that one, Tomo? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can answer that one, Lee. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will. I, I, I think that's a good idea. Um, no, it, it's it's not too early for Carlton fans to be getting excited because it's a different way of playing with a really deep midfield, a now solid back line, and a super exciting forward line. So get excited. But it is... Far too early to be queuing up for your grand final tickets. You've still got a lot to prove, that team. Uh, I think they are really well coached under Michael Vice. You can see the freedom with which they play, but the defensive mechanisms behind it, the contested ball work is there. But now back it up week after week after week. It's a grind this season. It is such hard work, and it's mental as well as physical. If they get to 7-0 and or 7-2 and and something like that, and they're one of the front runners. well, teams are going to start really coming for them. That's a bigger grind as well. So before we go and 
Melbourne versus Carlton grand final or anything like that, just show it to us for a bit longer. Yeah, yeah I think you're, you're spot on. The excitement, but just back it up week after week after week. People forget how hard, I mean, players get to the, the bye in the middle of the year and they forget how hard it is from the bye to round 18. And it's six, seven, eight weeks and it, it is hard. It's a genuine grind, as Lingy's saying. In the, and you see teams have just got to find an ability to win ugly. And that's what you talk about because you just got to find a way. It's not pretty, but you just find a way to win. Hawkins and Cameron or Mackay and Kerno. Let's not let him dead bat this one, Lingy. Who are you least wanting to play on out of those forward lines, Tomo, in defence? Carlton's uh, pillars or Geelong's at the moment? Probably you don't want to play against Geelong purely because a few more senior blokes up the field who know how to kick the ball to their players. Like the way Geelong kicked the ball inside 50 to Hawkins, you know you know what you've got to do, but it still ends up in his hands. It's It's... It's a really hard concept to think about, but um, the way they kick the ball to Hawkins and with Jez up up and down the ground, it, it's really hard. But Mackay and Kerno are not far behind. Give them, give, give them eight years and it's probably going to be just as hard, <laughs> if not harder. Lucky I'll be All done right, Captain Ling, Geelong's finest ever and last Premiership captain. Where would you like the conversation to go now? Well, to I'd Marvel like Stadium? The conversation to head to Marvel Stadium and I, I did come fresh from that game watching it. I think at one stage I even remarked uh, in the third quarter, I thought, if Richmond kick one more goal here, the game is over. They'd, they'd got control. They'd got it out to 20 points. And I think they got it to 25 or 26 points. And it was just slipping away from St Kilda. The response by the Saints shocked me, shocked, I reckon, most people at the ground. St Kilda fans were delirious with happiness. That footy that they played, it was fierce, competitive, relentless pressure and contested ball wins combined with lightning fast, brave ball movement. And big Max King, he just he just took that game and said, this is mine. Just get the ball to me and I'll take over. His goal kicking was superb. I know he might have, he might have missed one set shot in that last quarter. Could have kicked five in the last term. But it was a supreme performance by the Saints. And, and credit to them. I did not think they had that gear in them to go to. And they were brilliant. And they were under pressure, weren't they? We looked at their performance in round one and you thought, you know, St Kilda's got lofty ambitions this season. They feel like, you know, they're in the window and they should be contending this season. They dropped the game to Collingwood in round one and and there are question marks. Then they go and pull off that performance in Perth against Fremantle where they come from behind. And again, King was a key part of it. In the third quarter, it was on that occasion. He really got them going. And... You mentioned the word king. He, he almost played like the bloke we used to call the king, the yeah. king of Friday nights, Wayne Carey, the way he owned the game at such a young age. He's he's doing it probably a, a couple of years earlier than the key forwards tend to, to really step up and, and lay uh, a very strong impact on a contest, a match-winning performance. Oh, superb performance. And and throw in Jay Gresham as well, Al. I mean, I... Like him all throughout, you forget how big a loss he was for the Saints last year. When you know Crouch and Steele and Seb Ross and these guys in the middle of the ground, their, their performances were, were huge from a physical hard work perspective. But Gresham just breaks that game open. He just his his run and carry and dart and everything he does 
is so good. He's that extra element that then allows that forward line to really function well and Max King to start looking, getting pretty excited and thinking, get it into me quick uh, and I can do something. Richmond's an interesting case at the moment, aren't they? They missed the finals last year. Obviously, Dustin Martin's not there at the moment among a host of players that are missing, but they're, they're giving up a bit of a start uh, to the competition. Do you feel like they'll get back to playing to the level that they did previously, or is this a transition period that the club is going through? No, I don't think it's a transition period. And I think Richmond are like, uh, or they're going to, the Swans were and, and Geelong's been for a long time. They'll find a way to keep winning. Um, and they've had uh, a sketchy start, but it doesn't mean that, that they won't get the ball rolling. And um, I think they're going to be another a team like a few of the others that, um, that they've had a rough start, but will find a way to keep winning. And, and look, they're, they're missing a few players. I'll get them back. And, and that, the hunger and the desire to win will, will come back. Um, uh, Dimmer will be saying enough's enough. And I'm sure it won't be long before the the cards turn. Tomo, can I ask you about the difference between the the defence and setting the defence and the personnel back there? So last week, Richmond were missing um, Grimes, they were missing Floston, they're obviously Asprey's finished. They, they, they looked completely bare down back, but they just covered everything beautifully, handled it, completely destroyed the Giants. Grimes comes back in, is in control of the game, but then goes out with what looks like a hamstring injury and St Kilda flip it round completely and dominate the rest of the game. So it felt like they were comfortable with Grimes not playing when they were able to prepare, but then when they lost in mid-match, their back line, everything just completely fell apart. What's the difference like when you know you, you, know you don't have somebody to start with, but then you lose somebody mid-match? I think you're spot on, Lingy, and when you said the way they prepare for a game, prepare for a game when Grimes isn't there, you, you've got a few days where the coach is telling the personnel there, this is what you've got to expect, this is who you'll be most likely playing on, these are the things that you'll come up against. And when Grimes is playing, they'll do it, and when he gets taken away, someone's got to fill his shoes and they're a slightly different area, then someone's got to fill that person's shoes and it's a Constantiner effect. Um, and that's when you know you're a great side is when you can just be fluid and it happens naturally. And that's where we'll strive. When you get caught on the back foot and it doesn't work and as a flow and effect and it just get greater and greater and it becomes too much in the end. So, um, yeah, it's it's the sign of a mature team when they can do it on the flip side and, and just go straight away and, and it's no worry. But um, I think it will come. Yeah, St Kilda outstanding today the way they – did they kick 10 of the last 11 goals today to win that game, Lingy. So it's exactly the response Brett Ratton was after. And that would be so pleasing for him because you could see his disappointment round one, that the frustration that they had in his eyes underperformed to such a degree to have turned it around in successive weeks suggests that they've got some good things to do this season. Uh, at the other end of the scale, alarm bells. Alarm bells going off where after this round of football? Which side, which player... Which issue within the game is of concern, do you think? I, I feel like I'm repeating myself here, Al, and I apologise for that, but it doesn't shift away. It's Port Adelaide and it's Essendon. And Essendon, I thought, were okay and brave against Melbourne, who are the best team in the competition, but I still have 
a lot of concerns about the way that they're playing certain personnel within them. But let me park that just quickly. Port Adelaide's the one. Port Adelaide, who top four would have been their ambition coming into it. They got they got smacked last week in a, in a really poor performance, really poor. They then come into a showdown where they're in control of the game and, and should be winning the game. To then cough that up, that's then starting to sow those doubts, I reckon, of hang on, are we missing too many players? Do we have too many injuries? Are we not good enough anymore? Is what we've been working on, are we getting left behind? That's just starting to grow. And so somehow Kenny Hinckley, who I absolutely adore and think is a wonderful coach, has just got to find a new way to stimulate those guys, getting them back believing in the message and trusting in the way they play. Because at the moment, they would have doubts flooding everywhere in their mind and and it'd be starting to be a real worry over there. And especially in a town in Adelaide where when one team's not performing and the other team's just had a win like they did, that bright spotlight goes really directly onto, onto the power. And often it comes from former players and they all like to pile in big time and um, talk about it. It's, it's going to be on port. And uh, and and Kenny's got to find a way to keep that belief strong. Who are the former players you're talking about? Uh, well, there's a bloke I think he used to play a similar type of role to me back in the day. Craig uh, Collins likes to talk about it a bit, and I think Warren Treadray in the past has had a bit. There's um, it's it's interesting the way that the spotlight can turn. What well, even happened in the Crows during the week? Mark Rashudo he said the Crows couldn't kick, couldn't mark, couldn't do anything. Um, that might have fired them up a little bit, but <laughs> it is funny that that spotlight becomes very, very hot in Adelaide when a team's not performing well. Yeah, I think justifiably so. When you look at Port Adelaide, they've made the preliminary final the last couple of years. You just knocked them off back in, um, oh, sorry, Richmond just knocked them off back in in twenty twenty, and then last year to be beaten so significantly by the Western Bulldogs at home in a prelim as well. This year felt like it had a lot riding on us. Then. Last week to lose to Hawthorne at the Adelaide Oval, it had you thinking, well, they play Adelaide. Adelaide's not not really contending for finals you wouldn't have thought this season. Imagine if they lost that, but you still thought Port Adelaide's going to roll its sleeves up and, and win that game. So, And surely there, you know, Ken Hinckley's tried a few messages. He's tried to get this group going already. So that's the challenge for him, isn't it? Because you've already had a go at shaking or rattling the cage a bit to get a performance out of a team. And when you don't get it, as much as it was a goal after the siren, that, that is a game that Port Adelaide should be winning if it's fair dinkum. Oh, without question now. No, I, I agree with you. Um, and it's it, it falls on key players. It falls on leaders. And, and as much as you – you shouldn't need to keep asking the same players again and again to produce. But when the chips are down a little bit, um, you do look to your best players, your very best players. I mean, Friday night, Tomo's team is a, is a great example. I thought Melbourne were you know, solid and missed some chances. It was one of those frustrating nights when you're clearly the better team, but it just wasn't quite putting the game away. Well, it was still Clayton Oliver, who one of the very best players in the team, who just stood up and was absolutely massive. Petrarca stood up when it was really important. Maxi Gorn stood up when it was the big moments and maybe the momentum was shifting. You look to your best players when it's a frustrating, not so good game. It falls on that to Port and, and unfortunately, um, either through injury or form, they're not firing. So who's next? Who else? And and that's what Kenny would be asking himself because I don't think Connor Rosie's made the jump yet. I, I, 
I'm so excited about the way he can potentially play. But the way we were talking, I think, speaking of Kane Corns, didn't he say it was a disgrace that Sam Walsh was picked over Connor Rosie as far as rankings go? Well, that's been made to be, you know, not even close to being right because Connor hasn't made that jump yet. I mean, Butters and Dersma, whether through injury or form, haven't made that jump. So who is it? Ollie Wines is a star. Yep, absolutely. Who else? Mm. So Port have got to find that who else to now get their season back on track. Yeah, broad, broadly across the game, Wines and Boak were still highly effective and, and contributed very significantly for Port Adelaide to get them into that position where they ultimately should have won the game to be 19 points up midway through the last quarter. Alarm bells for you, Tomo. Any any going off anywhere around the competition? No, there's no alarm bells uh, really going off. I, I, I've loved the the first three rounds and to to have the close games, especially today, to watch Carlton and Hawthorne go at it. And, and I think about Carlton's midfield and, and how strong they, they've got the and um, alarm bells for me as a player playing against them, but alarm bells for me as a footballing fan, oh, I just loved seeing the way field can play. And, um, obviously, they, Hawthorne came back, but um, I, I have really enjoyed watching Carlton's midfield go at it. Tom, have you got one little alarm bell, though, that tomorrow when you turn up to the club, the strut on Angus Brayshaw is going to be so incredible now that he's taken 20 marks in a game of footy. You're going to have to put him back a peg or two, aren't you? So, first of all, he doesn't shut up about hitting a hole-in-one at the best golf course in Australia. But now <laughs> he he's got that. five years ago, didn't he? Yeah, and he still goes on about it. But um, <laughs> So, we had training today and we were just doing lane work and everyone just did 21. And he took another mark, like 22. It was pretty funny. And, um, no, he's, he had a great game. And when we did look up with five minutes to go and said, geez, Gus has taken 20 marks here. And he's like, well, what's the record like? So, um, but, no, nah, he, he let everyone know. What about any alarm bells around Christian Petrarca, Tomo? We did, he was just, he looked a little laboured um, in his work on Friday night, perhaps moving not quite as well as he, he had been. Dominated the first two rounds, obviously, but not quite his, his impact. He's obviously going to have the odd down game. Yeah. Um, as well. I can't speak too freely, really, but it was nothing to do with his body, but the role he had to do throughout the night. And um, he had to sacrifice a part of his game when he's got someone like Lingy sitting on him a lot of the night. It's it's it, on him to change the way he's going to play. And um, it's what he is willing to do for the footy club. And, um, so it's got nothing to do with his body, but it's just when someone does sit on you, you, you've got to sort of give something to get something. And when Clary plays the game he does, you've got to look at, well, why would to do that? And you look on the flip side, tracks blocking for He's got someone sitting on him and, and it means Claz can and run a bit more freely. So um, it's... That's a, that's a great sign of maturity. Yeah, yeah. And pe- people don't see that unless they know the game well or they sit going on and so people say well oh, his track didn't do much last night but in inside the footy club it's it's very much well appreciated and communicated yeah and and as much as the the fan don't the fans don't necessarily understand that i'm sure christian would would feel 
rewarded for his his efforts. You do wonder sometimes it would be great if, you know, a coach could come out and say at the end of the game, we got him to do that. He was the yeah. sacrificial <laughs> act tonight. Yeah. And then he could re- really be lauded because you look at the stat sheet and that's where a lot of people go to assess whether someone played well or, or didn't play well. And you see Petrarca 21 down on 38 and over 40 in the first two weeks. You think, oh, he's a little bit off there and you start looking for answers, don't you? You, yeah. you know, well though, that you're going to get your turn. When you're a really good, mature team, like Tomo's talking about, is you know your turn will come. So teams will look at Friday night for the Melbourne and go, oh, there's no way we can let Clayton Oliver have that sort of space. Hey, we're going to have to send somebody to Clayton Oliver. He's just so influential. Uh, Metres game, clearances, inside 50s, everything like that. We're going to have to go to Oliver. So they'll go to Oliver and Petrarca will just have all the space in the world and completely rip the game apart. It, it, but it's that trust that that flow will happen throughout the season and you'll all get your little lick of the ice cream, as they say. Um, that takes a real maturity to do that rather than, no, this game has to be all about me and every single week has to be about me. So that's a big step forward for Melbourne to, to, to know that, believe that and trust that. And I think as players and people and fans have got to realise, if you said to a playing group, what do you prefer, winning or losing and playing well? And you've got to realise that the greater good is to win. And so you'll do what you need to do to win. And and, and that's what uh, well, we were able to do on, on Friday night. And, uh, yeah, we didn't play our best footy, but um, we won and we're, we're stoked to win because this game is so hard and people forget how hard it is. And uh, Track did what he had to do for us to win and, and, and that was that was perfect. So, yeah. Just as we wrap up the conversation, Tomo, give us a, a perspective of what it's like playing football this year, given the last couple of seasons we've had where you've been on the road, where you've played in front of empty houses. Crowds are now back at the football. Yes, there's the odd player in West Coast case, a lot of players having to go out for COVID protocols, but you had Ben Brown, for example, on Friday night come out of the team. There's going to be a bit of that. But but what does football feel like it's back to where it was again or is it still do you still feel like we're going down the path towards that no and I think you summed it up today when you spoke about the traffic on the way to the footy and that for me footy's back footy's back to being what it was the game is just as hard as what it was before it was changed before COVID came in um the excitement of driving to the G and I live a 10 minute cycle away but when I go on a Friday night I've got to leave an hour before because of the traffic to get and that's for me is the feeling of footy is back and um, it's a great feeling um, to have so many fans come and watch the footy it's it's just a special thing and, and look um, COVID's still a thing um, but we've learnt over the last two years to just roll with it and it, it is what it is um, can't do anything about it you just got to move on Great having you with us Tomo thanks very much for giving up some of your time to talk footy we hope we can do it again with you sometime No thank you very much for having me guys and Port Adelaide this week. So the, the round starts with Port Adelaide and Melbourne, another very tough assignment. So Tomo's boys up against Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. That's the first clash on Thursday night to start round four. And then Cameron Ling will be looking forward to a big blockbuster at Cadinia Park where there was controversy last year, Lingy, when these two sides played down the highway. What are you talking about, Al? That was play on every day of the week. Oh, that oh please, please. Oh, I'm pretty sure they came out the next day and did say that that was holding the ball just quietly, Lingy. So Geelong and Brisbane on Friday night. Of course, you'll see all the action across round four, live and free on the screens of seven. Great chatting to you, Cameron Ling. We'll do it next week to sum up round four. And thanks again to Tomo for joining us. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 